welcome on the day after Christmas. The Advent season is actually over, but there's one candle that should be lit, and this is the, the most important one of all. It's called the Christ candle. Just to remind, oh good, just to remind you, Advent, of course, is the word means coming. It's um, an, a very old tradition in Christianity that at Christmas time we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, that's called the Incarnation, and the second coming of Jesus, that's when he's going to return to this earth again, as the Bible predicted. In the Old Testament, you have many, many predictions, scores of them, about the first coming of the Messiah, telling us where he would be born, Bethlehem, what he would be like, what his mother would be like, that he would be born of a virgin, etc. All of that was told to us in the Old Testament. But there are many, many prophecies in the Old Testament that have not been fulfilled yet. And those are to be fulfilled when Jesus comes again, his second advent or second coming. So yesterday in churches all over the world, they lit what's called the Christ candle to remind us that Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would be his official name, he came to this earth some 2,000 years ago. And very soon, um, uh, I guess um, it's over 2,000 years ago now that he came. But one of the events that we always include in the Christmas story is the portion about the wise men. And as Regina pointed out to the children this morning, that actually took place sometime after Jesus was born. Still, it took place in Bethlehem, and today we're going to focus on the wise men. But I begin with a humorous story about them. There was a small southern town where there was a nativity scene that showed that there was great skill and a lot of talent that had gone into the creation of it. But there was one small feature of this nativity scene that bothered me. The three wise men were wearing firemen's helmets. <laughs> totally unable to come up with a reason or an explanation, I left. But at a quick stop at the edge of town, I asked the lady behind the counter about the helmets. And she exploded into a rage and started yelling at me. You Yankees never do read the Bible. I assured her that I did but simply couldn't recall anything about firemen in the Bible. She jerked her Bible from behind the counter and ruffled through some pages and finally jabbed her finger at a passage. Sticking it in my face, she said, See, it says right here, the three wise men came from a fire. <laughs> well, interestingly, the story about the wise men is full of misconceptions. And so we're going to try to clear up some of those today as we turn to Matthew chapter 2, which is the story about the, the wise men. I entitled it The Three, We Three Kings. And of course, even that title is full of misconceptions, but we'll get to that a bit later. Now, in this passage that we're going to look at today, we're going to be introduced to three characters, so to speak. The first one is a man by the name of King Herod. King Herod was what's called an Idumean or an Edomite. He is of the same bloodline as the Jewish people, but he is not of the, of the lineage of Jacob, but he's rather of the lineage of Esau. 
And we're going to see King Herod. He's going to be prominent in the story. And he is a very interesting and a very evil man. In fact, probably you don't know today how evil he really was. I'll tell you some of that today. Secondly, we're going to um, encounter the religious leaders. The religious leaders, of course, are Jewish. They're very skilled in the Bible. And we're going to see how they respond to the news of the birth of Jesus. And it might surprise you. And of course, the third that we're going to look at are the, the Magi or the wise men. They are Gentiles. So we've got a half-Jew, Jewish people, and Gentiles in this story. Now listen as I read. Just, just listen. Don't, you don't even need to follow along. As I read the story from Matthew chapter 2, two verses 1 to 12, you'll pick up these three groups. King Herod, the religious leaders of, of Jerusalem, and the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out for them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now the story that we're going to look at today begins with the evil genius, King Herod. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. From the text you saw that it said that after Jesus was born, the Magi came to Jesus and Mary, who was in a house. So when did this event take place? We don't know. But this much we do know. It's sometime after Jesus was born, up to two years. It might be two years after Jesus was born. Why are they in Bethlehem? Well, their ancestral roots of both Joseph's family and Mary's family take them back to Bethlehem. And so after they went there for the census, remember how they got there? They got there because the emperor back in Rome, Caesar Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken, and everyone had to go back to their original homestead. And of course, Mary and Joseph's homestead was in Bethlehem, the town of King David. 
So they went there, and after they went for the census, they stayed for a while. And so when the, this story takes place, it is around the year 4 to 6 BC. How do we know that? Well, we know that because we know when Herod died. Herod died in 4 BC. And so we know that Jesus was born somewhere around between 6 BC and 4 BC. That we do know. Exactly when, we don't know. Whether it was December 25th, very, very unlikely that that was the date when Jesus was born. It's just the day we celebrate it. And it says, in Bethlehem in Judea. I've been to Bethlehem myself many times, more than 10. And you can walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, walk in less than two hours. It's only six miles away. It's very, very close. Now Herod, King Herod, was a a ruler who came from a, a family that had ingratiated himself to the emperor in Rome. And around the year 40 BC, King Herod bought the kingship of the Jewish people from the Roman emperor. Because remember, Israel was just like a little province of the Roman Empire. And what the, 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 the emperors would do in Rome is they would parcel out their, uh, their territories to subjected kings. And they usually had to pay the emperor money to do that. So Herod paid money and his family to make him be called by the Roman emperor the king of the Jews. And by the year 37 BC, he had secured the kingship and he began his very, very, very evil rule. How rule? How evil? Well, let me tell you a little bit about King Herod. King Herod, as I told you, was not Jewish. He's Edomite. He's an Idumean. He's a relative of the Jewish people, but he's not Jewish at all. He um, was a very, very capable leader, but a very evil leader as well. He, um, he knew how to get things done. In all of world history, all of world history, he is one of the greatest builders that has ever existed on the planet. Obviously, he didn't do the work himself. But he oversaw building projects that are unparalleled in the history of the world. He's one of the greatest builders that has ever existed on the planet. And he knew how to manipulate people extremely well. What he did to gain power was he married one of the royalty, the Jewish royalty, of what's called the Maccabees. If you know anything about the, Ma- the Roman Catholic Bible, you have first and second Maccabees. He married one of the Maccabees princesses to gain some status among the Jewish people. When there was a famine in the 20s BC and the people of, of Israel were suffering, he went and melted down some of the gold from his own palaces to give money to the people to make sure that they were cared for. He was, in some ways, a very benevolent leader, but he was ruthless. He murdered his mother. He murdered his wife. He murdered his three 
sons. He murdered his mother-in-law. He murdered his brother-in-law. He murdered his uncle. And he er, murdered many other people, including, as we will find at the end, the babies of Bethlehem. He was an extremely evil man. He was so evil and so hated by the people of Jerusalem that this is what he did when he got sick toward the end of his life. In 4 BC, he was living in his summer palace in the city called Jericho. He was living there. He had a palace there. And he knew how deeply hated he was. And so this is what he did. He had all of the prominent citizens of Jerusalem arrested, put into prison, and all of his soldiers were given the responsibility that upon the news of his death, all of the prominent citizens of Jerusalem were to be killed so that when he died, someone would cry. That's what he decreed. Thankfully, that order was not carried out, but that's what he decreed. And by the way, not many years ago, in the year 2007, they found his burial chamber. It was found in a place called the Herodium. A Herodium is a monument and, and, a, and a fortress that he built in Bethlehem to protect himself if he had to run away because of all the people that hated him. But he was a builder. He built one of the greatest temples the world has ever seen, the temple in Jerusalem. He built that. He built the city in Caesarea where the Apostle Paul was imprisoned for two years. I've been to Caesarea many times. The theater that he built is still used for plays all the time and musical in, uh, venues. Right next to the theater is a huge hippodrome where they carried out chariot races. He built cities in, in what's called Sebastia. He built, one, he built a fortress in Masada. He built the Herodium. He built Caesarea. He built model cities in, in Greece, in Athens. He built cities in what we today would call Lebanon. Back then it was called Phoenicia. He even built monuments in Rome. He was so incredibly wealthy. And of course, it wasn't his wealth. He got the wealth from taxing the people. So he was an evil, evil genius. Absolutely paranoid. And that's why when the Magi came, he was deeply disturbed. Because he did not, of course, like the idea of having any rivals. And now they told him that there had been born the king of the Jews, which of course he thought he was the king of the Jews. Now, what did King Herod know about the Messiah? Well, King Herod was a very highly educated man. He knew from the Jewish scriptures that the Messiah um, would be born in, in Bethlehem. He knew many of the facts about the Messiah. He was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. Then, when the Magi came, the wise men, he was familiar with the information that they told him about the birth of the Messiah. From God himself, King Herod, though he squashed it, had a conscience, so he had a sense of right and wrong, and he had a very strong general idea of Jewish history and customs. So King Herod had a lot of knowledge about this king of the Jews. But when he heard that the king of the Jews had been born, 
something went off inside of his heart. He was deeply disturbed. He saw a potential rival had been born. He was paranoid. His job was in jeopardy. Passing on the kingship to his children was in jeopardy. And so he was full of fear and jealousy. And this is what he did. He gathered together as much information as he could. And then he, he, he tried to manipulate the Magi into giving him more information, feigning desire to worship this newborn king. And he asked the Magi to report back to him. But when they did not, he became furious and he killed all of the baby boys in Bethlehem under the age of two. How many would that have been? Not many. Bethlehem is a very, very small town. And you're probably talking about less than 30, but still, that's a lot of very, very horribly sad mothers and fathers who lost their baby boy to this evil, evil man. So here's the formula. Herod had considerable knowledge of the God's truth added to a very evil, egotistical, selfish heart and equals a man who was hell-bent on killing the Messiah. Now, um, if you know anything about history, and I'm sure some of you do, you know that there, there are a number of very, very well-known people who hated Christianity but had Christian backgrounds. Let me tell you about some of them. You may not know this, but Charles Darwin, of course, the father of evolution, he was enrolled in medical school at the University of Edinburgh, but he transferred to Cambridge in order to study for the ministry. Ironically, the only degree that Darwin ever held was actually in religion, not science. Friedrich Nietzsche, the best-known probably German philosopher, he's the one who came up with the, the famous line, God is dead. His father was a pastor, and Friedrich Nietzsche studied theology, hoping to become a minister which, of course, didn't happen. Joseph Stalin. Did you know Joseph Stalin, the, the notorious communist butcher? Some, the one that they say was responsible for the killing of 20 million people? He sang in a church choir and went to seminary to become a priest. Adolf Hitler, he also sang in a church choir and considered becoming a, preach, a priest. Richard Dawkins, who's probably the best-known atheist today, had a normal Anglican upbringing and was confirmed in the church at age 13, like others in England. Here are people who had a Christian background. They knew things about God, but they became very antagonistic against God. But there are people of another kind. There are many, many people in our world who are well-known who were very, very, very much against God, who then became Christians. Let me give you some examples. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a professor of medieval literature at Oxford University. He was a, a, a deeply committed atheist who intellectually, by studying Christianity, became a Christian. And then his famous line, he said, I never wanted to become a Christian, 
But he said, when I, when I did realize that the Bible was true and Jesus was Lord, he said, I became, here's, this is his words, the most reluctant convert in all of England. He says, I did not want to become a Christian. Malcolm Muggeridge, a famous British journalist and author and an agnostic, he converted to Catholicism. Do some of you ever, have you ever read World Magazine? Are you familiar with World Magazine? Well, the author of World Magazine, he's the editor. His name is Marvin Alasky. He was a Marxist, atheistic Marxist who became a Christian. Lee Strobel, you've probably read some of his books, A Case for Faith, A Case for Christ, A Case for the Resurrection. He was a, 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 an avowed atheist, a journalist, whose research testing the veracity of the scriptures led him to Christ. Frank Morrison, also a journalist, he was... He realized that the centerpiece of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. And he decided as a journalist, he was going to debunk it for once and all. And when he studied it, he became a very strong Christian and wrote the book, the classic book entitled, Who Moved the Stone? Or Josh McDowell, a man who went to Wheaton College, where I also attended, was an, an agnostic who believed that Christianity was worthless. And then as he examined the claims of Christ. He became, of course, one of the greatest defenders of Christianity in the world. One of the ones I like recently is a man named Nabil Qureshi. He was a very strong Muslim who debated Christians and destroyed their faith over and over again until someone presented Jesus Christ to him in a believable way, combined with loving him. And he wrote the book, Seeking Allah, finding Jesus. More and better knowledge is not the key. It's the condition of the heart. You remember the words of Jesus? Jesus told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and he said these words, if people will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And within months, he rose from the dead. And They didn't believe. King Herod is the example of one who, for a variety of reasons, jealousy, fear, paranoia, intellectual skepticism, rejected Jesus and became an antagonist of Jesus. And uh, that's one of the routes that people take today, sadly, because it doesn't end well. But the next person we're going to look, group we're going to look at is, I would submit to you, even worse than Herod. Who are they? The religious leaders. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. When he, that's Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Oh, in Bethlehem of Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Herod brought together, once the wise men came, the group, the religious leaders. Who are the religious leaders of Israel? Well, they're the chief priests. The chief priests are who we call the Sadducees. These are the people who oversaw the temple. They were filthy rich. They were religious into religious tradition 
And many of them didn't even believe in God. But they loved religion. Not so with the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law were scholars, Bible scholars, Old Testament scholars, most of whom were not Sadducees, but they were Pharisees. They did love the Bible a lot, and they knew the Bible very well. They believed the Bible, and they sought to live out what the Bible said. And so Herod called these people together and asked them the simple question, where is the Messiah going to be born? And all the religious leaders knew the right answer because Micah, the prophet, told us explicitly where he would be born, in Bethlehem, six miles down the road. And what did they do? Nothing. They did nothing. At the time that Jesus was born, there was speculation widely in the world at that time. How do we know? Not from the Bible, but from the Roman historians, Suetonius, Tacitus and others. They told, this is Suetonius, the Roman historian. There had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. So there was this common feeling. This is not, this is not the Bible. These are the Roman historians saying everyone had a sense that something momentous was happening in the world at this time. So that was the ambiance of the whole Roman world at that time. And then these wise men come from Persia into Jerusalem. They ask the religious scholars, where is he to be born? They say, just down the road. But to our knowledge, they never did a single thing. Now, imagine for me this scenario. Here it is. Let's assume that the airport in Riverton is the home of a world-class university that specialty is math. And roughly five miles away is Ashgrove Elementary School. It's just down the road here. Do you think it's possible that the word goes out that at Ashford, Ashgrove Elementary School, there is a student there that tests at 300 on the IQ scale. The smartest human being that has ever been born on the planet, and he's at that school. He is a genius in math. Do you think it's possible that not a single mathematical faculty from the airport would take that long trip all the way to Ashgrove Elementary School and check it out? Do you think that's possible? It happened. The, they knew. They knew that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And now, and the speculation from the Roman world was that there's a Messiah, there's something momentous taking place. And now these people come from Persia. That's Iran. Traveling 800 miles and say, we know he's been born. Where? Six miles down the road. Ashgrove Elementary. And what did they do? Nothing. Nothing. Elie Wiesel, you know that name? He was an Auschwitz survivor. A Nobel Prize winner who also got, um, who wrote the book Night, one of the best-selling books. This is what Elie Wiesel wrote, said. The opposite of love is not hate. 
It's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy. It's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death. It's indifference. Martin Niemöller was a pastor in Germany during the Nazi time. He was one of the few in the German Lutheran church who stood against Nazism, realizing it as a great evil. This is what he wrote. First, the Nazis came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Indifference in the face of evil. Dante, the famous writer, said this, The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who remain neutral in a time of great moral crisis. This is George Bernard Shaw. The worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. Do you see the sin of the religious leaders at the time? Their sin was they, they, their sin was they did nothing. They knew the scriptures. They knew now with these, these weird, weird dudes coming from Persia. And this, the, 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 the word in the air of the whole Roman Empire. And they knew their holy scriptures. And they did nothing. Made no investigation. Said, cool. You see, one of the worst things that we can do as people is to have Bible knowledge and do nothing with it. That's what they had. What does the Bible say that does? Knowledge puffs up. It makes you arrogant, egotistical, and ultimately rather evil. So first of all, you have Herod, King Herod, who's very, very angry and antagonistic and wants to do everything he can to squash the news of this birth. And then you have the religious leaders who knew the truth, very familiar with the truth from many fronts, and they were just apathetic. They didn't do anything. But then we come to the third group. These are the heroes of the story. They're the wise men. Let me tell you a little bit about them. First of all, there are many inaccuracies that people have about the wise men or the magi. There were not three in number. Even though I called this message, We Three Kings, there weren't three. We don't know how many there were. This much we do know, that the entourage that would have traveled with them would have been maybe hundreds. It would have been very large. In that society, three people never travel alone, especially if they're very wealthy, as these people obviously are. They are not kings. We say, we three, that's not three, they're not kings. But they're even more important than kings. They are king makers. You see, in the society back then, um, in order to become king, you had to go through a process by which you were evaluated by a group of people called the Magi. They were not kings, but they were king makers. They were top advisors to the kings. And a very famous person who was raised to be like that, that we know, is Nelson Mandela. 
If you've ever read his background, he comes from a very high-class, close family, but he was not on the king level. He was reared to be an advisor to the king, a very lofty position. That's kind of what the Magi were. The Magi were not from the Orient. They weren't from China. They're not Chinese. They're probably Persian. Their their names are not Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. That we just made up. And they didn't smoke rubber cigars. I don't know if you were like me, but I remember singing as a child, We three kings of Orient are tried to smoke a rubber cigar. It was... Did any of you sing that? Am I the only one? You guys didn't sing about them? Man, my background was weird. None of you sang about the... The cigars? Well, we messed up that one all the time. So they didn't smoke rubber cigars either. But what they did is they, they paid attention to the skies. They were, they, were, they were not so much astrologers as they were astronomers. Because they believed that in the skies they could portend things of the future. They were probably Zoroastrians in background. You've probably heard of the religion Zoroastrianism. It began in the 6th century BC and uh, with um, Zoroaster as the founder or Zarathustra. That's where you have the Nietzsche's uh, book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. That's also Zoroaster. It was a belief that there was one God, Ahura Mazda, that kind of controlled the, the, the universe and they were probably Zoroastrian people. And uh, they, um, they watched the stars And when they saw odd things happening in the stars, they believed that that was saying things important. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. Why? Because they're in Persia. Who lives in Persia? Who was the queen a few hundred years before that? Esther. She's Jewish. Who was the prime minister? Mordecai. He's Jewish. Who was the prime minister of Babylon and Persia? Daniel, he's Jewish. Who lived there? Ezekiel, he's Jewish. Whose writings did they know about? Jeremiah's, he's Jewish. These people were specialists in religious writings. And they knew the prophecy of Balaam from the book of Numbers. A scepter shall arise, a star shall arise out of Judah. And so they put what they saw in the skies together with what they knew from the Old Testament scriptures. And when they saw a phenomenon that surprised them, what that star was, we don't know. Maybe it was an alignment of planets. Some people, some astronomers think it was. Maybe it was something supernatural. Maybe it was the Shekinah glory of God in some respect. We don't know what it was. But when they saw this, they said, something's going on. We must follow what we see. And the, the Old Testament scriptures tell us that something important is going to happen in Judah. That's the, the region where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are located. So they took an 800-mile trip at great cost to themselves that would have taken at least two months to two years to accomplish the trip, and they finally show up in Jerusalem. Where do they go? They go because these are very high, high high-ranking people. They go to the king. They say, where is the Messiah? The king has been born. Where? King Herod says, what? What? He calls in all the religious experts. They say, where's the Messiah to be born? He says, Bethlehem. And Herod said, yeah. Why don't you guys go to Bethlehem and find this Messiah for me? And then I'll come and worship him. Yeah, right. 
And of course, they didn't do that. Instead, how they followed the star, I don't know, but they came to a house. And they went into this house, and there was a little boy. Not a baby anymore. They're certainly not the terrible twos. I don't know what he was, but he was there with his mom. And they realized this is the one. And they brought their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, we know what that is. Frankincense um, was used as a... Um, as, it's from the bark of certain trees. It was used as an embalming agent, as was myrrh, used for incense back then. And by the way, what was the gold used for? That financed their trip to Egypt to run. God had it all perfectly planned for them. So they presented these gifts. And then in a dream, because remember, these people were sensitive to the stars, they were sensitive to the scriptures, and they were sensitive to what God was doing in their dreams. They were warned not to go back to Jerusalem, but to go another route, which they did, and went back home. They were seekers. What did they know about God? As they looked at the heavens, they knew that the heavens declare the glory of God. When they looked at the creation, they realized that God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, were clear in the creation. They listened to the inner voice of their own conscience. They knew right from wrong. They listened to the general revelation of the Holy Scriptures from the Jewish people. They listened to the scuttlebutt on the street that the Messiah, messianic fervor was in the air. They studied the skies, and it all led them to this little baby boy. In Bethlehem. What emotions did it stir in them? Well, their interest was piqued and they longed to understand what they were seeing. And when they looked for him, they found him, they worshiped him, and the Bible said they were overjoyed. They acted on the limited light that they possessed. They traveled an incredible distance. They made a diligent search. They brought gifts. They bowed down and worshiped. And then They heeded the warning of God in a dream. So what was their their formula? They took the limited knowledge they had of God. They combined it with a humble, truth-seeking heart. And it resulted in an encounter with the Messiah himself and genuine worship. Jesus said, ask. It will be given to you. Seek you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Interestingly, one of the places I visited many times in Bethlehem is called the Church of the Nativity. It's one of the oldest churches in the world. It was the, the building of this church began around 325 by Queen Helena. That's Constantine the Great's mother, who made a pilgrimage to Israel to find the holy sites. They started building the church in the 300s, and it became a very, very prominent church because it was built over the place, reportedly, where Jesus was born. But in the 600s, 614 to be exact, the Persians from today would be Iran came into Jerusalem and conquered the country and destroyed all the churches. 
They came to Jerusalem and they destroyed the church of the Holy Sepulchre, which was the place built over where Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. They destroyed that church. They destroyed the church of the Ascension. They destroyed all the churches and they marched into the church of the Nativity. And there as they got into the church, on the wall was a mosaic of the wise men coming to see Jesus. And they looked at the mosaic And the people were obviously Persians, dressed like Persians are dressed. And they didn't destroy the church of the nativity because of that. Because they recognized these are our people who came to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Though by this time, they were not Christians at all. And so, we have King Herod. He possessed plenty of knowledge about God, but he combined that with a wicked, wicked heart, and it produced incredible antagonism against Christ. You had the religious people who had extensive knowledge of God, true knowledge of God, but they combined it with an apathetic, indifferent heart, and it produced nothing. (laughs) And then you had the wise men, Gentiles. They... They didn't have, they weren't Jewish. They were not God's chosen people. They didn't have the extensive knowledge of Scripture, but they took what they knew, combined it with what they saw, what they felt, and went on a quest. And that quest led them to the baby Jesus, and it resulted in worship. We're in the same category today. It's the same Jesus And we have the same opportunities, the same responses. We can be antagonists like King Herod. We know just enough about God's truth to be dangerous. But because of a hard, a haughty or self-justifying heart, we become hell-bent to oppose God and everything he stands for. We can make that choice. And many people today do. There's another choice that's probably more likely for us in this room right now. That's the choice of the religious leaders. We know a lot about God. In fact, we might know too much. Nevertheless, we know, we take what we know about God and we become rather self-satisfied and we seldom act on our beliefs. And what results? Hypocrisy. We forget that to whom much is given, much is required. And our encounter with the scriptures turns to mush, I guess. Nice spiritual mush, but still mush. Or we can be like the Magi. They faithfully tune into whatever good they can glean about God, which they did. They're true truth seekers, and they act on what they know to be true. And they become deep, godly worshipers of the true God. Why do we call the wise men wise? Well, because they were sensitive to God's voice in creation and in Scripture. And when they came to understand God's revelation, they acted on their discovery. And when they acted on what they knew to be true, they fell to their knees and worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God wants of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, the wonderful story of the wise men. Oh, I pray that we could be wise men and women. 
The truth is we tend to be pretty religious and we struggle with indifference and apathy. It just becomes us, I'm afraid. Maybe we're not antagonistic towards you. I hope we never become that. But it's so easy for us to become indifferent. Oh, Father, forgive our indifference. I pray that this day as we start a new year and as we reflect on the Christmas past, that we would become invigorated by the Holy Spirit, that we would have new life, new vigor, new zeal to faithfully follow whatever we know about Jesus, to be his ambassadors, his, his servants, his worshipers. I pray that this body would be full of such people, myself included, and that as a result we would be, we'd be little, little lights that shine brightly in this wonderful community for Jesus' sake. It's in his name we pray. Amen.